Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Satesheva is a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry and the College of Optometrists in Vision Development. Dr. Takeshida serves as the Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute and has lectured extensively across the country on the topics of pediatric eye conditions and low vision rehabilitation. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairment. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Tonight, our topic is visual processing. Thank you, Dr. Bill. We're looking forward to a great lecture. Thank you very much, Sue, and I want to thank every one of you for participating in tonight's lecture. Being that it's election night, we weren't certain if anybody was going to show up, but we're very grateful to those of you who are on the call this evening. Now, in the past two months, we really started to talk about the overview of vision. There are so many times that people think that vision is a very simple process where we simply need two eyeballs, and with those two eyeballs, we're able to see. But vision is really much more complex, and vision is something that requires stimulation, repetition, and it is something that can be developed. Now, the first month, we talked about the anatomy of the eye. And it is really critical that everybody has some understanding of the anatomy of the eye. The reason for this is that many times children are born with eye problems that affect certain structures of the eye. To kind of recap a bit, the eye is basically a receiver of light. In other words, the eyeballs are able to absorb the light rays that come in from the surroundings, and it is able to process that information by sending electrical signals to the back of the brain. The first structure that the light enters when it comes through the eye is the cornea, and the cornea is the transparent tissue on the front of your eye that you would put a contact lens on. If a child has scarring to the cornea, that may prevent light from coming into the eyes and these children may be severely visually impaired. So these are children who may be helped by receiving a cornea transplant or a cornea from another person could be sewn onto the eye to allow light to enter the eye. The next important structure of the eye is called the crystalline lens. And the crystalline lens is a transparent lens that is located right behind the pupil. When light comes into the eye, it then focuses through the crystalline lens. And what the crystalline lens does is it changes its shape to refine the focus. If the crystalline lens does not change the focus, the baby or the child or the adult will see things so blurry that they would not be able to identify things. In some cases, the crystalline lens may be clouded at birth, and this is something that's called a cataract. So many children, they do receive cataract surgery, and an artificial lens could be inserted into the eye, and that could allow the child to see and to focus at different distances. 
After the light focuses through the crystalline lens, the light rays make its way onto the retina. And the retina is a tissue. We could think of it almost like wallpaper that lines the inside of the eyeball. Within that tissue, the retina, are millions and millions and millions of cells. Some of the cells are called cone cells. And what these cone cells do is that they are able to process different colors of light and they give us the ability to see small details. The cone cells are located in the center of the retina, and a person who has problems with the cone cells in the center of the retina, they may not be able to see colors, they may not be able to see clearly, and they often are very, very sensitive to the light. Now, the cells that surround the cone cells in the remaining area of the retina are called rod cells. And these cells are very sensitive for night vision. They're very sensitive for seeing motion, but they don't really have the ability to see color and they don't have the ability to see details very well. So in some children, they may have suffered from a birth complication where there is bleeding in the retina and these children may need surgery so that these cells can develop to its fullest potential. In other cases, it may be that some children are born without some of these cells, and as a result, their vision may be very, very blurred, and they cannot see color. For example, children born with albinism, these children often don't have the normal amount of cone cells, so they're sensitive to the bright light, they may not see colors real well, and they have blurred vision. So with these particular types of anatomical structures, if there are any problems to any of these structures of the eyes, these children really must be evaluated by a pediatric ophthalmologist to provide surgical and medical treatment for those structures. But it's also very important to remember that even if a child has received surgery to treat any of these particular types of problems, that does not necessarily mean that the child is going to have normal or very strong vision. The reason for that is that vision occurs in the brain. You could have the healthiest eyes in the world, but if the brain doesn't receive the information properly, the brain will not be able to see things. Now, how does this information get from the eye to the very back of the head where the visual cortex is located? Well, there is a nerve that is called the optic nerve, and this is a bundle of almost a million little fibers. We could almost think of this as a telephone cable, one big cable, but inside of it that there's a million different wires. So with the optic nerve, it is sending information from each of those rod and cone cells to the very back of the brain. So this is the reason why we cannot merely cut the eye out and do a transplant of another eye. And the reason for that is because we would have to sew one million nerves precisely from one part of the eyeball to the other part of the optic nerve. It would be so difficult to match these up. 
You might even think about when you try to connect up your television to the VCR. You have only three wires, a red, a white, and a yellow. And you can't get it right even just with those three, and there's no picture. So you can imagine how difficult it would be to try to connect one million of these nerves. The next thing that we talked about the following month was the development of vision. How is it that children develop vision? What many people don't realize is that through each experience that the child looks, sees the mother's face or the father's face, those electrical signals are sent from the eye to the back of the brain. And each time these signals are sent from the eye to the brain, it creates more and more connections between these nerves and the cells in the brain. When we see that the child is given more experiences to look at different toys or different colors or that they're going to reach for different objects, it creates more and more connections within the visual cortex of the brain, and this is how vision then develops. We know that at birth, a child could only focus at a distance of 8 to 16 inches, but within a period of six months, the child learns how to control the ciliary focusing muscle, which controls the crystalline lens, and the child is able to focus at 10 feet. And by the time that the child is about 12 months, they could focus across the room at 20 feet. Color vision. At birth, the child only sees black and white. But as the child sees more and more colors, more connections are made between the retina fibers that are going down the optic nerve and the visual cortex. And by three months of age, the child begins to see primary colors. And as the child grows older, the child will then learn how to move the eyes. Early on in life, the child cannot move the eyes, and they tend to move their head. So if mom or dad are playing peekaboo and the baby is laughing and trying to follow, they often will turn their head. But as time goes on, these connections develop, and the back of the brain sends signals to the front of the brain and to the sides of the brain, the parietal lobe and the frontal lobe, and the child then starts to learn to move the eyes. This is called a pursuit eye movement where they can follow or a saccadic eye movement where they could shift from one location to another. So this really shows that during the first three years of life, it is extremely, extremely important that parents and teachers and others who work with children, that they play specific games to encourage the child to use vision because this will create more connections within the visual regions of the brain. And these particular types of visual neurological connections are responsible for improved vision. So what we will later see is that the child will see things quicker. They will look at things that are farther. They will even use their eyes and hands together to reach for something. So those first three years of life are very, very important. And if a child has low vision because of an eye disease or if that there's a neurological problem, it's even more important 
that we work on developing these neural connections during the first three years of life. Many of you might even be familiar with this concept, and it's called a dendritic spine. Between the nerves, there are different parts of the nerves, and part of it is called the axon, and the other part is called the dendrite. And when these dendrites connect with another neuron, the more often that signals are sent through it, there are more finger projections, almost like roots from a plant that develop, and there are stronger and stronger connections. And we also know that this same neurological process that's involved for vision, it's also involved with learning. When we try to learn a new musical piece, or we're trying to learn how to use our new cell phone, or we're trying to learn how to do a trigonometry problem in math, we're not doing anything that involves muscles. It's not muscle development. But what happens is that these electrical signals are being sent throughout the brain, and these dendritic spines, they make stronger and stronger connections. And pretty soon, you get it, and you're able to do this faster. And before long, you're doing it without even thinking about it. There's so many things that we might do, but we don't even think about it because it's automatic. And that's a result of these repetitive connections that are going on within the visual parts of the brain. So today, we're going to talk about the next phase of vision, which is extremely important, and this is what we call visual perception. Now, visual perception, the best way to try to understand this is that perception is the ability to understand what you have seen. It gives us the ability to understand what we have seen. When we see a newborn child, and we might turn on our flashlight, or maybe we have a toy, and we could put it 8 to 16 inches away from the child, and the child sees it, and the child is stimulated by it. They're interested. They will turn their head, and they will look at that. And you can move it someplace else, and they'll turn their head and look at it again. You know, at this young phase of vision, the child is able to see it, but they don't really have what we would say strong perception of it. They're going to say, I see something there, but they don't know what it is. They don't know what it could do. They don't know what they could do with it. So as children get older, they begin to develop stronger and stronger visual perception where they will begin to understand certain things. For example, when a mother is continuously coming to pick up the child, and the mother, she puts her face at a distance of two feet away, and she turns on the light so the child could see her face. Before long, that baby actually can identify the mother's face that baby will be able to know the difference between maybe mom and grandma or mom and dad. And this is because with these repeated types of exposures, these connections develop, and this is creating facial recognition perception. The baby could look at certain features on mom's face 
and could recognize, hey, that is mom. That's mom. I understand what that is. And then if another person comes up, and maybe that they don't look the same way, maybe it's dad, then the baby cries. The baby doesn't know who this is that's picking her up. So we could see that even as early as six months of age, nine months of age, visual perception is developing where the child begins to understand. I understand what that is. That's mom's face. Pretty soon it might be that you're going to be feeding the baby with a bottle and we use a black and white striped bottle. When the baby first sees it, it doesn't know what the bottle is. But with repetition, the baby understands, hey, this is where my milk comes from. And if I look, and if I even reach out with this bottle, I'm going to have something really good to drink here. And the baby then learns from memory, hey, that black and white, it might mean that here comes my milk. This is something that's going to be really fun. This is something that's enjoyable. So as children are playing games, and they receive all of these different types of experiences, perception, visual perception is developing, and the child is beginning to understand. I understand that that bottle is food, and that face is my mother who's going to pick me up, and that this other toy is going to play music, and they differentiate those. So some of the most Basic types of visual perception skills begin very early and they continue to develop through many, many decades of our life. The first one that Polly develops is going to be facial recognition, where they could recognize, hey, this thing that's coming after me, this is, this is a human being, I think. This is one of those things that can lift me up and they make noises and they smile and they kiss me and they feed me. And they know that there's a difference between uh, a human being and a toy, which really can't do anything for that child in that regard. Next, the children begin to develop visual memory. And we might think, is it really true that at a young age they can develop it? And yes, they can. They develop visual memory because they are able to recognize mom's face again. They saw it before, and when they see it again, they say, hey, yeah, that's mom. And they can recognize that face based on what they have seen in their memory. Or you may see another example, that when children are younger and you start to put on different videos for them, these kids like to watch the same videos over and over, and they just love it. Maybe it's baby Einstein, but you start to turn it on, and they could watch it over and over and over and over. And this is something that is developing their visual memory. They're familiar with those images in there. Some of the pictures, some of the drawings are familiar and they enjoy seeing those things that are familiar over and over and over. And so visual memory is another skill that develops very, very early on. Next is what's called visual motor perception. When they see something and they understand what it is, 
is there something that they can do with the muscles of their body to react to it? So this is the same thing like we talked about the bottle of milk. If a child sees that bottle of milk, the child may then say, I really want that. Give it to me. And they will then reach for it with both hands because you're not giving it to them quick enough. And as they then learn and they see that bottle of milk, this type of eye-hand coordination reflex develops. So they will then begin to reach for some of these things and put it towards their mouth. Later, with other types of toys that they may be given, they may reach for it. And they might first put it in their mouth. They say, hey, there's no milk in here, but is there anything else I could do with this? They might bang it together. They might bang it on the table. They might drop it and watch it fall to the floor from the high chair. And they wait for you to pick it up. And you give it to them again. And they drop it again and they watch it fall to the floor. They have learned that they could react with the muscles of their body in this way. And eventually they then learned that they can roll over and move towards what they see. They could crawl towards certain things that they see. And later they can then walk. So the visual motor skills develop at a very, very young age as well. Now, as kids are starting to get a bit older, two to three years of age, we see that the cognitive process of visual perception becomes even more sophisticated. And this is where they then begin to learn that by looking at different toys and different objects in their home, they realize that there's all sorts of different objects. And they begin to memorize what are these objects. And they begin to memorize which things are things that I could play with and which are things that I don't really play with. They may see the coffee table and they don't try to do anything with it. But if they see the fruit that's on a fruit bowl on the dining room table, they might roll it, they might bite it, they might unpeel the banana, they might do all sorts of different things. But they quickly learn which are things that they could manipulate and eat or play with and which things that they don't. We then see that children would begin to discriminate things that look similar. And this is called visual discrimination. And by the time that a child is about three years of age, they begin to develop this visual discrimination skill, which, which is very, very important for general life and academic development. So they say that they see three toys. The kids have normal color vision, and they've been able to learn to identify shape. In other words, they know the difference between a circle or a ball and a square. So they look and they see that on the table there's a red ball and you have also a red apple and then you have a red marble. When the children look at that, they see round circular objects. But soon they learn to identify and discriminate the differences between these three. Even though they're all round red objects, they learn to discriminate the differences in size. The ball is much bigger. The ball is completely smooth all around, whereas the apple has this little 
different section here on the top, and that stem is something that the ball doesn't have. Or if they're touching the marble, they realize that it's so much smaller, it's so much lighter in weight, but if I try to bite it, like I try to bite that apple, I can't bite it. So kids will then learn to discriminate real objects around the age of three, and by three and a half, maybe four years of age, they begin to discriminate pictures, two-dimensional pictures. This is where you could show them a picture book, and there could be a picture of an apple, and they realize that that picture is a picture of an apple, but the picture is not a real apple. The picture they see in the book, it is an apple, but it's not an apple that they can eat. And when they look at a ball, they could say, look, it, here's a ball in here, but they realize that that's a ball that they can't touch and bounce and play with. And similarly, they begin to look at photographs, and they'll know, hey, that's mom, that's dad, hey, that's our dog. But they realize that it's not the real person, it's just a picture. As kids start to develop that kind of visual discrimination ability, it really means that they are very close to being ready for many of the academic requirements at school where you are asked to learn by looking at books or looking at pictures on computer screens or you're asked to look at overheads, but you don't always have the real thing. If a child is behind in this type of visual discrimination, it's very, very important that we begin to perform activities to develop this kind of visual matching or visual discrimination. You know, how can you do that? Well, you could pick up many household items that may all be red, and you try to get two sets of them. And so you might have two balls, two marbles, two apples, okay? And then you want the children to take those and pair them up and match them so that they can actually visually see that these are the same. Later, you can become a bit more advanced, and you can use different types of blocks. Like we talked about last time, you could purchase tangram blocks, T-A-N-G-R-A-M blocks, and you could buy two sets of them, the same color, and they have different shape blocks, and you want that child to be able to match each block so that they could see which block is actually the same. If a child cannot match these blocks, they are not going to be ready to learn and identify numbers and letters. They will not be able to match letter for letter as they're trying to copy and print. And they will have significant difficulty in understanding many other academic tasks. We also then during this age, want to start to work on their visual memory. We know that kids develop visual memory from looking at faces and things early on, but we also want them to learn to memorize what they have seen, and we want to also incorporate this with photographs. So one of the things that you can do is you could play games. You could use photographs that you have taken, and when you get them developed, you just print two sets. So you could have a picture of mom and a picture of dad and a picture of grandma 
You have picture of the dog, picture of the cat, all these different things. And you go ahead and then place them out on the dining room table so that the child could see these pictures. Then you give them the remaining, and they have to look, and they have to then match those pictures accordingly so that they're matched one-to-one. Once they're able to do that, we could play the memory game where we turn every one of those pictures over so that they cannot see the photograph any longer. They just see the back side of it. And you're going to put all the photographs out there, both sets, and they'll turn over one picture, and they have to guess which of all these other pictures might be a picture of mom. And they'll turn another one, and if it's not correct, then you have to turn them back over. Then it becomes mom's turn to play that, and she'll turn over too. And pretty soon, the child's going to remember, oh, I remember where mom's picture is, and they could do that match. And they begin to learn that type of visual memory. Another form of visual memory that's very important to develop if a child is beginning to go to school and to read and to write is what we call sequential memory. And sequential memory is more advanced in that it requires that the child remembers things in the correct order. So it's not enough just that the child remembers that there was a picture of dad and then mom and then the dog, but they got to remember it in the correct order. So this is where we could take different types of pictures and we could put them in a certain order and we could flash these cards up so the child sees that it's dad, mom, and the dog. And then you cover it. You cover it with a piece of cardboard or something so that your child cannot see it. And this is something like for a four-year-old or a five-year-old. And they then have to look through their pictures and place down the pictures in the correct order that they remember seeing it. And then you could lift your cardboard and they could see if they got it right or not. If they did not get it correct, you cover your picture again and you let them go ahead and rearrange it. As they get better with this, then you increase the number of pictures. You might put out four pictures or five pictures or six pictures. When they begin to remember things in the correct order, this is a a very, very strong tool that will help them when they're doing spelling, when they're doing different types of things with numbers or copying from the board because they won't have to look back and forth at the board as many times. They could remember it just from their visual memory. Now, another visual perception skill that's also very, very important to develop is called figure ground discrimination, figure ground perception. And figure ground means can you find something that is hidden within the cluttered background? You know, I'm certain... Many of you have family members or aunts or uncles or other people that you went with, and you, you, you may have gone to the forest with them. And as you're out there and you're looking around at everything, they say, hey, look, there's a rabbit under the bush. And they saw it just so quickly, and you're looking and you're looking and you're looking, and they point it out. It's that bush right there next to the tree, and you're looking and you're looking and you're looking, And you don't see it. You don't see it until the rabbit finally moves and then you saw it. 
You know, why is that? Both of you have 20-20 eyesight. Both of you have good color vision. Both of you have all the same measurements when you get your eyes checked. But it's the way that the brain is able to identify what is hidden within a crowded background. And you'll notice this. If any of you have your own children or you have students you work with, and maybe you're at home and they're helping you cook in the kitchen, and you say, oh, can you get me the sugar? And they say, uh, yeah, where, where is it? Oh, it's right there, right on the counter. They're looking, looking, and wait, I don't see it. Where is it? Where is it? And then you have to go and you get it, and you're kind of upset with them. Well, this is because children usually do not have highly developed visual figure ground perception. So as we play more and more games with them, these types of games with them, we could develop this figure ground perception. And good games to do this are hidden pictures, I spy, and you could also do this just by yourself by getting a whole bunch of random things. Whatever kind of junk you find, paper clips, rubber bands, pencils, paper, whiteout, whatever that you find, throw them in a box and you could play that game. You might select something and you could ask your child, I spy a paper clip. And that child's going to look for it, look for it, look for it, look for it. Some kids will find it very quickly. Others, it will take them a long time. And then you take turns. Your child might say, oh, I see a stapler. And then they're going to see how quickly you're able to find it. When you're developing this kind of figure ground perception, this helps kids tremendously with their ability to walk. Not in the physical sense, but they are more aware of obstacles that they may trip on. These kind of figure ground perception skills really help kids significantly when they're playing sports. They could keep their eye on the ball no matter what distractions around them. They're able to do that very, very well. And academically, figure ground perception is very, very helpful so that when a child is looking at the page and they're supposed to be looking at a particular problem, they could keep their focus on that math problem and not get distracted by the other problems on the page. Or if the teacher is saying, okay, open your book to page 37, and I want you to look at this particular sentence, those kids could find it very quickly, and they could keep their eyes on it. Well, children who have poor figure ground perception, their attention is very, very short, and they often will not even look in the book. Now, another visual perception skill that is very, very important is what we call visual-spatial relations. And what spatial relations mean is, does the child understand, does that child understand that it means something different depending on what direction that that object is pointing? You know, there's a lot of kids, when you show them pictures of things, Let's say that you have five arrows, and all the arrows are pointing up, but one of them is pointing down. And you ask that child, 
can you find a picture that is different in here? And they'll say they're all the same. I said, no, look at it real carefully. One of them in here is different. Can you tell me which one is different? They say, no, every one of these are arrows. They all look the same. The fact that one of them is pointing in a different direction, it means absolutely nothing. So for these children, you could understand what happens. They often will have difficulty understanding left versus right. They'll have difficulty understanding the difference between letters lowercase b and lowercase d or lowercase p, lowercase q. So we we need to develop these understandings of visual spatial perception so that they understand that it is important what direction that you put things and which direction that they're facing. Another visual perception skill that develops is what is called visual organization. Now, visual organization is kind of complex, but it is something that children really need to understand that parts of things can be assembled to make the final product. Parts of something can be assembled to make the final product. So if we were to ask a child to build a model car or a model log cabin, and we give them all the parts or these popsicle sticks, a lot of these kids will have no clue as to how to do it. They do not understand that these pieces could be assembled to create that. These are the same kids who do not understand that you could assemble four straight lines and that will make a box. Or you could assemble three lines and that makes a triangle. As a result, these are the kids who have difficulty learning how to copy drawings. They have difficulty learning how to print because they don't understand that you could add lines and curves and make it create something different. So one of the good ways that you could work with kids on this, again, is by just using real basic jigsaw puzzles. When you're using jigsaw puzzles at a young age, the kids learn that by putting these parts together, we eventually have the pictures that we were hoping to make. And you could also then make it a little bit more sophisticated, more advanced, where you could use, for example, those tangram blocks that we talked about. And they have worksheets, and the kids will just copy what they see in the worksheet by putting these tangram blocks in the correct location, and pretty soon they'll realize, hey, with these blocks, I made a dog, I made a house, I made a car. And this is a way that you could develop a child's ability to understand how parts create a final product. So all in all, these are just some of the visual perception skills that are very, very important for children to develop. We know that during the ages, between the ages of 3 to the age of 10, is a very important time period to develop these skills. Now, what I have found is that children who have poor visual perception skills, 
these are the kids who often have significant difficulty in learning. Now, they may have perfect 20-20 eyesight. They may have perfect eyes. They might be able to see the smallest letters on the chart. But when it comes down to doing things at school, such as writing or drawing, understanding concepts of arithmetic and math, they just don't understand it. They could see everything that you put in front of them. They see all the letters. They see all the shapes. But they just don't understand it. So... If you do have students that seem to be very bright, but they have difficulty with some of these types of school academic tasks, these are kids who should receive a visual perception evaluation. Now, there are some optometrists, some ophthalmologists, and some educational psychologists who will perform visual perception testing. There's many tests that are used, but... Some of the most common tests that are used are, number one, is called the Gardner Test of Visual Perception Skills. Gardner Test of Visual Perception Skills, third edition. Another test is called the Beery, B-E-E-R-Y, Visual Motor Integration Beery VMI, that's where a child would be asked to copy drawings that he or she sees with a pencil. Another test that may be performed is called the block design test. And this is where a child is asked to use these blocks to create the picture that is shown. But with these particular types of tests, you could determine if a child is below average or average or above average for each age. In other words, the visual perception skills of a four-year-old will not be generally as high as that of an eight-year-old. And the visual perception of a 12-year-old is generally going to be much higher. But with this test, you could determine if the child is weak in this area and the child will then benefit from some accommodations in the classroom, and the child will benefit from some doing some of these activities, which could be done at home. And there's also uh, offices that provide that type of visual perception therapy. So all in all, I hope that from these past three lectures, you could understand how vision is very, very complex, and it doesn't only include the eye. It includes the eye sending the signal to the optic nerve. And the optic nerve, with almost a million fibers, it has to get it back to the brain. And then the brain has to then learn how to perceive or understand what it sees out there to control how the body parts interact with it. And from that, we can have that highest level of vision that allows us to do so many things so much more easily. So at this time, I'd like to open it up to any questions. If anybody has any questions, you could unmute your phone by pressing uh, star six. Are there any questions this evening? Well, Dr. Bill, this is Joan. I guess looking at the big picture and understanding differences between children's ability visually besides 
acuity and all of that, is physical uh, abilities really impact visual perception, it seems, and cognitive skills. So sometimes it seems challenging to separate what is perception and what's cognition and what's perception and lack of understanding due to physical limitations for a child that's not ambulatory. That's a very good point. Now, as you can understand, the visual perception is something that is taking place in the brain. If a child has different types of cognitive problems where it also has affected the brain, it's hard to truly differentiate how much of it is the cognitive deficit versus how much of it is just the visual perception deficit. But the educational psychologist can run specific types of tests to be able to determine which ones are vision perception and which ones are just cognitive. For example, some of the children who may have cognitive problems may have what we call executive processing problems where the frontal lobe of the brain has difficulties making these kinds of decisions. Now, that is located in the frontal region of the brain, whereas the visual perception problems would be located in other areas of the brain. So, based on these particular tests, we could determine if a child has weak executive cognitive functioning and how is their visual perception. Now, they may have both or it may just be one, and then we could know how to best address that and also how to give the child accommodations. That's a good question. Thank you. That's a good answer. Thank you. Are there any other questions this evening? Okay, well, I again want to thank all of you for your attention and cooperation, and I know you're all waiting to see who's uh, won our election and who our next president is. And, Sue, what do we have in store for next month? Yes, uh, thanks again, Dr. Bill. That was a great lecture. I learned a lot, as always. Um, next month, I uh, can't believe it's December, on uh, December 13th, it'll be Adapting Your Child's Environment to Maximize Vision, Lighting, Contrast, and Beyond. So, so um, we'll wow. get a chance to kind of maybe even think about how we're going to use lights and, during the holiday season and different kinds of things to encourage vision. Yes, yes, that, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and I'd again like to thank uh, Mr. Dick Burden from Ayers LA who's recording this. Uh, he will get us this recording, so please share it with other friends and colleagues and parents. It will mm-hmm. be available at the Braille Institute website, mm-hmm. www.brailleinstitute.org, and it will also be up at AirsLA. that's A-I-R-S-L-A.org. So once again, thank you, everybody, and we will see you next month.